unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm excited to jump into this week's episode. We've got a continuation from last week, and I'm excited about what you've got lined up for the listeners today. Indeed we do. So you've probably heard the old, very true saying goes like this, writing is rewriting. And you probably know by now that means you rarely get it 100% right on the first draft. Fine. But the question is, how do you know what to rewrite? I mean, how do you even know what to look for? And we covered half of those things in last week's show. Today, we'll get through the other half. You see, I realized every time I critique copy, when I start out, I look for the same things. There are certain things that any piece of copy needs to have, certain tests it needs to pass if it's going to work in the marketplace. And like I said, last week, we looked at five. And we'll review those in a second. And this week, I'll show you the other six things that I look at so you can do the same thing for your own copy. And they're so important that first I need to remind you of this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Previously on Copywriters Podcast, we covered these five qualities of copy you must look at. Grabability of your copy. Does your copy grab the reader's or viewer's attention right from the start and hold on tight until the end? Your claims, how unique and believable are they? Proof of claims, how convincing is your proof? Testimonials, how well can your target market relate to the people giving the testimonials? And objections, how well do you anticipate and answer objections? That's where we stopped. Now we're going to cover the last six on the list. And a lot of what we have to talk about today has to do with your prospect's experience in reading the copy. We get into three factors that keep people engaged. But we'll also cover three factors that are crucial in deepening your prospect's understanding of what your product can do for them. That, in turn, deepens their desire. And you know what happens next? That magical sound. ka Okay, sounds pretty good. Let's get started. So number six on the list is flow factor. I'm not talking about being in that coveted flow state everyone wants to get into when they're writing. Now, being in a flow state actually helps you create copy with the flow factor. But let me define what I'm talking about here with the flow factor. It has to do with the copy itself and how well that copy develops and refreshes curiosity in the reader, how effective you are with your subheads to keep your reader engaged when they get to a subhead, How smooth are your transitions? And how well do you keep building anticipation right up to the close? All right, let's start with a couple of don'ts to begin with. 
if you want your copy to flow, don't expect rigidly following a formula is going to do it for you. Okay? It's not mechanical paint by numbers. And on the other hand, don't get so free and unstructured and spontaneous that you're just randomly throwing words around the page like you're throwing darts because they popped into your mind and expect that copy to flow. Okay, so where does flow come from? Here's where it comes from. It comes from knowing what you want to say, figuring out the steps to get from the start point to the end point, writing those steps down, and then forgetting about them and just writing as conversationally as you can. Remember, in real life, one thing always leads to another. It's not always as neat and tidy or entirely logical as we might want it to be, but it is sequential and continuous. Your copy needs to be the same way. Events should be connected to each other and probably in chronological order. Causes should lead to effects. So here's one way to check that your copy has flow. It's to read it out loud, especially to another person, and notice where you trip over words. Then go back and fix it, and read it again, maybe to someone else, and keep fixing it until it reads smoothly. What are your thoughts about flow, Nathan? How does that grab you? I agree with everything that you just said. I especially like the idea of having kind of a visual of where we want it to go, but not being strictly rigid to that. A lot of times when we first start out getting into copywriting, actually, when I first came across you, it was because I was looking for copywriting templates. And when we're new copywriters, we love templates. But as we get further along, we have in our mind, okay, I need to make sure I hit these points and pull these emotional triggers in this order. But the strict template seems to be a little bit confining or it can feel like you're shoehorning your copy rather than actually having a free-flowing copy. And I think you have to start with the templates, but as you go, you have to learn how to work with just a kind of a structure, a skeleton in the back of your mind as you're writing rather than rigidly following templates. Yeah. Have you ever seen any of those trick bike riders who can do flips and they go in courses and They do 180s and all that kind of stuff. Uh They started out with training wheels, like maybe when they were five or something. And, And so templates are like training wheels, but eventually you develop your own style. But everything happens, you know, in an in order like that. Okay, so let's go to number seven, consistency. Are there logical or emotional inconsistencies or both that need to be fixed? So consistency is like the second cousin of flow. Having consistency by itself won't make you, but not having it can break you. Here's the point. Little things mean a lot. Let's say you have a guy in your copy named John Miller. If you refer to him first as John, but later as Jack, and even later call him Mr. Miller, readers will pick that up. Now, you may have a good reason for doing that. A friend might call him Jack. A clerk at a store might call him Mr. Miller. And if you mention those things, then it might work. But if you're sloppy and you change his name without there being a clear reason that you make obvious to the reader or the listener for those changes, readers will pick that up at a level. Now, only eagle-eyed copy chiefs like me 
and other detail-oriented fanatics will consciously notice this and catch the inconsistency, especially on a long sales letter. But civilians will get this funny feeling that something's off. And sometimes they get enough of that feeling to break their trust and to tank the sale. So same thing with abbreviations. If you talk about a company and you spell out C, sorry, if you talk about a company and you spell out the name of the company, C-O, period, the first time, like the John Miller C-O, period, in paragraph seven, and then you spell it out like the John Miller C-O-M-P-A-N-Y in paragraph 21, most people won't notice, but they'll get this funny feeling that something's not quite right. Now, I want to get real clear about something. This isn't about perfect grammar or punctuation. It's okay to do those things wrong. You don't need to be correctly using the Oxford comma or know the intricate rules about capitalization after a semicolon or a colon. That makes you seem more human. A lot of people don't care. But what people care about, most people care about a lot, is sloppiness. They'll be very suspicious about a person who is sloppy in their copy, and they'll be less likely to buy. So if you do it wrong, all right, make sure you do it wrong the same way all the way through. That's consistency. Now, there are a couple other kinds of consistency. They're a little less cut and dried, but they're just as important. Okay, so step back. Remember, copy needs to get your prospect in the mood to buy. Strictly logical explanation, no matter how beautifully done, is rarely enough to make the sale. When it comes to logic, if there are gaps or leaps or things that don't make sense at first, that's a consistency problem. You need to clean that up if you find it. But just as well, there's emotional consistency. I'll give you an example. Recently, I was critiquing a sales letter for a big promotion one of my mentoring clients was doing about a very serious change in an industry that my client's client was offering a way to head off. The copy itself had the mood of doom and gloom, and rightly so. Better you know now about the torrential rains ahead than to be out there without an umbrella or raincoat when it happens. The thing is, for all this doom and gloom, the headline was very upbeat, inspirational, and biz It trumpeted a great opportunity in the months ahead. Now, it wasn't inaccurate. Because if the reader took advantage of my client's solution, they could prosper while their competitors were mostly dying on the vine or drowning in the torrential rainstorm. But this kind of very happy, inspirational, motivational, biz headline was simply the wrong way to start this kind of letter. There was inconsistency between the headline and the copy. It was like showing someone being in a house and you look out the window, it's a bright, sunny day. But once you lead them out to the street, there's broken glass, garbage strewn all over the place, and dirty serpents and small alligators slithering across the pavement. And that's about as emotionally inconsistent as you can get. Now, something like I just described might be great contrast for a surprise in a movie, but it's terrible for a sales letter. Too much emotional inconsistency. See, that's not a roller coaster. That's oops to brain fart. 
Okay. So watch out for emotional inconsistency too. Nathan, let me know what you think about all of those inconsistency points. <laughs> emotional roller coaster versus like a sudden stop. The other thing you talked about a lot about the subconscious, even if their conscious mind doesn't catch it, the subconscious is little triggers or little red flags are going up that they might not even realize why. That's yeah. one problem. But the conscious mind might also catch it. And if the conscious mind catches it, it's going to cause an abrupt stop. It's going to it's they're going to stop and say, well, what, is he talking about Mr. Whatever? Or is he talking about John? Or is he talking about Jack? Is John and Jack the same person? And as soon as they start asking themselves those questions, they're no longer reading your sales message. That's right. It, it gets them out of the emotional space and into the critical mind. And you've lost all the sales momentum that you'd built up. Good, great point. Okay, let's move on to number eight, rapport and empathy. Question here is very simple. When you're reviewing your copy, how well do you make your prospect feel comfortable with the languaging and the tone and the message that you're using? If this is, this whole question is obviously a given to you, great. But if it's not obvious, it's easier to understand this first by mentally changing places with your reader and looking at someone else's copy, so it's not your own, and review someone else's copy this way. When you as a prospect read that copy, does it speak to you? And if it does, why is that? What did the copywriter do to make you feel at home with the copy? Now, think about copy that feels off to you. Maybe it rubs you the wrong way, or maybe it doesn't bother you, but it doesn't reach you either. Ask yourself, why is that? If you think about it, I bet you'll find that the copy you feel at home with seems to speak your language, and the copy that doesn't draw you in doesn't speak your language. Okay, now that you get that idea, understand that your copy has to speak to your customer in their language too. And if you don't really know what their language is, or you really don't know how to write like that, the best way to develop and rapport and empathy with people in the market is to get to know them. And the best way to get to know them is simply to talk to them. Now, I remember my first sales training, and we are talking 35 years ago. And during the role play, the sales trainer would say, rapport, rapport, like it was some kind of mechanical process that you just sort of had to get through before you could close another sale and didn't have any emphasis on sincerity or human contact or connection. And at the time, I didn't know, what, whatever. Okay, rapport, rapport. By contrast, I remember oh, a good 20 years later, 15, 20 years later in my graduate coaching training, we would spend hours. I mean, imagine this, two people in chairs, and then everybody else was circled around them watching them. And we would practice how to ask questions and really listen, really keep eye contact really pay attention to the tone of what was going on under the words. And it got a little too heavy time at times. Remember, this was California. But I'll tell you this, we really learned how to develop rapport at a deep level. So remember, whatever you can do to develop rapport with your prospect in your copy, make it as sincere and heartfelt as you can. Stephen Covey, seven 
habits for highly effective people. One of the things that he really hammers home is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And when we're writing copy, if our reader or the viewer of our video sales letter doesn't feel like we understand them, where they're coming from, what they're frustrated with, what they're trying to achieve, if they don't feel like we understand them, they're not going to take the time to try and understand what we're our message, what we're trying to get across. So as a copywriter, those are always the things that I'm making sure, especially at the very beginning of any kind of sales message, my main goal is in this communication, will they feel like I understand where they're coming from? Yeah, that's a great point. It's almost like a, a form of emotional reciprocity. It's like you provide some value. People always talk and copy about providing value. Like, here's a way to increase your daily sales by 600% by only moving one eyelash. And if there is such a way, I guess that's value. But you're talking about value at a more emotional level. And I, I think that's a great point. They're willing to pay you back by, if you give them your understanding and they feel it, they'll try and understand what you're all about, what you're saying. And that'll get more engagement for your copy. So great point. Okay, let us move on to number nine stories. As you review your copy, ask yourself, how effective and intriguing are my stories? I'm going to surprise you and not explain this one with a story. And I got lots of them. A few shows ago, we had master storyteller, Hollywood, billion dollar Hollywood screenwriter, Tom Donnelly on. I mean, billion dollars for real, no, no kidding. And not that he's necessarily made a billion dollars. I don't know if he has, but the movies he's worked on have grossed a billion dollars in sales and maybe, I don't know, streaming rights, whatever. Nathan, I have to admit, you're a pretty good storyteller yourself. And I'm above average as a storyteller, for sure. It turns out above average is all you have to be. Now, we do have a few master storytellers in this copywriting space. I'll say that. But it's a rare skill. And it's also very hard work to create a great story. And lucky for you, not just you, Nathan, or me, but everyone listening, lucky for you, the listener, creating a great story and all that hard work, that's more than you need to do. All you need in your copy is a story or stories with beginning, middles, and ends. A story that makes the point you need to make. And here are like three questions to ask yourself, to determine if that's so. Number one, can your prospect identify with the main character in your story and identify with the person's problem? Number two, is the story clear and does it show a problem that's important to your prospect? And best of all, a solution that points to your product. And number three, does something happen to the character in the story that is interesting and believable to your prospect. A good example of this would be a story in a sales letter for an info product where someone is struggling with a problem and in the same way that your prospect may struggle so they can identify with it. And this problem was causing that person the same kind of follow-on problem it causes for many other people. Then this person in your story discovers a new idea a new technique, or hey, maybe they discover your product. And things take a turn for the better. The person stops struggling and life is good again. Sun rises, angelic choir appears. 
right? Of course, if there are specific results in the story, you will be better off if this, this is a true story about a specific person and that sort of gets back to copies powerful and regulators and lawyers and all of that jazz. And if it's a real person, you really need to have permission to use it, or at least if you use their name. The study of story has been a lifetime project for me, or at least since my 20s. So not, not well, I was telling stories and getting in trouble for them earlier. So I guess lifetime. But again, simple skills to write simple stories are what I find people need to do well within copy. And of course, the better your story or stories, the better your copy will perform. But don't agonize over story. If one, prospects can identify with the character and in the story and their problem, and two, if the story is clear, and three, something interesting happens to the main character of the story, if you can get those things covered, you're good to go. I love stories for a couple of reasons. Number one, people's people put up defenses and brick walls when they see a sales pitch coming, but it's the opposite when they hear a story coming, their defenses go down. Also, when you're telling someone a story, they tend to let you take the driver's seat and they sit in the passenger seat, which is exactly what we want when we're trying to persuade somebody. And then number three, stories have a way of letting the reader come to their own conclusion instead of us beating over beating them over the head with what we want them to believe. A story allows them to say, oh, I get it. And then it's their idea. And they're much more likely to accept it as reality when they come to it as an aha moment rather than we try to beat them over the head with it. So for a lot of reasons, I just love using stories in my copywriting. Yeah, and then there's what Neil Young said. Which is? You gotta tell your story, boy, before it's time to go. There you go. All right, let's move on to number 10, bullet points. Don't let yourself get away with bullet points that are uncensored, enthusiastic gushing that really doesn't say anything, or little groups of words that seem like they were written by a writer who's all out of steam either. Here's the raw truth. To work, your bullet points need to have sales power, each on its own. You can think of every bullet point like a mini sales letter appealing to a prospect who would buy if they only knew about one specific valuable pro benefit of your product. People make a couple of fundamental mistakes with bullet points that sap the sales power right out of them. On the overly caffeinated side, you want to weed out bullets that make over-the-top, empty claims that don't really say anything. When writers do this, it's like they figure if they yell loud enough, that will make up for their lack of salesmanship. Okay, bad news, it won't. Don't confuse bullet points with cocaine-fueled bragging in condensed form. On the overly rational side, don't confuse bullet points with an opportunity to boil down instead of build up. It's tempting because in a lot of writing that is not sales copy, that's exactly what a bullet point is supposed to do. But it's not supposed to do that in sales copy. Bottom line, don't confuse bullet points in your copy with neat little summaries that simply make an idea clearer. What you're looking for with each bullet point is this, to focus on one benefit of your product that helps your prospect visualize 
how the product improves their life in a particular way. The best copywriters spend a lot of time on their bullets. You can see why. One bullet alone can sometimes tip the prospect off the fence and lead to a closed sale. So for me, with my bullets, I get into the same mindset that I get into when I'm brainstorming headlines. The way that I come up with bullets is usually very similar. A lot of times it's curiosity invoking, and a lot of times it's overcoming objections. So if I know my prospect has this sort of objection about themselves or about the promise or about why it's not going to work for them, a lot of times my bullets are just the reversal of that. It'll work for you because of this, and you can find out more on page 84. And so I think a lot of times people just kind of spit bullets they just kind of vomit them onto the page when i'm writing bullets i'm very consciously going for two main things number one i want to evoke curiosity and number two i want to make sure that i'm alleviating any of the objections that they have and that seems to work for me but i wonder what your thoughts are on that well my first thought is you're consciously trying to do a specific job that's going to advance the sale with your bullets. And that's more than most people do. Now, I think your question was, what do I think about the particular things that you're doing with your bullets? And I think they're really good. In terms of evoking curiosity, if you do it in the right way, it can just make people want the product more. And in terms of answering objections, I've never heard of anyone talk about that before, but I think that's a brilliant innovation because um, no one's looking for that there. You know, they're, they're looking for, hmm, oh, so tell me more about the product. And so their defenses are down. It's not quite their defenses are down as much as with a story, but a, a lot more than with your normal sales copy. So I think that's a really good approach. And just to clarify that, a lot of times somebody will have an objection like, say you're writing for the health niche and you're writing for a healthy diet and people say to themselves, well, I would love to do that, but I've got kids or what if I, I've got a vacation coming up and we always eat junk food on vacations and it's not going to work for me. One of the bullets can be something simple like how to get in and out of the grocery store, get the good food and still not have to worry about leaving your kids unattended in the car or how to make sure that you can eat right even when you're on vacation. So taking those objections that they might have and then turning them into an almost headline-like bullet that reverses that objection and then they're like okay that was the one thing that was holding me back but it looks like they have something that addresses that and you can get that across in a single bullet yeah i i think that's great and by the way those are standalone benefits too so you're really making your bullets do at least a couple jobs at the same time i think it's really good nice okay what do we got next next is your clothes in face-to-face -face selling as many as 82% of salespeople don't ask for the sale. And you know the old saying from Zig Ziglar, timid salespeople have skinny kids. Since copywriters are basically salespeople behind the keyboard, both things are true for us as well. A lot of copywriters don't ask for the sale assertively enough, and wimpy copywriters have skinny kids, if they have kids at all. So when you're going over your copy, make sure your clothes is as strong and appealing as possible. That means 
you started your call to action in clear and direct terms. You restated your big promise either right before, right after, or during your close. And as long as the close is unmistakably strong, your big promise when you're repeating it here, it can be either blunt or it can be indirect at this point. What the thing, main thing is you're trying to remind somebody, but you f need to figure out what's going to work best there. And if your copy is online, as far as your close is concerned, it's also a good idea to test the whole order process, the shopping cart, and, you know, even that the follow-up emails come through and the upsells, all those things. Make sure there are no glitches before you go live. Before I wrap up, any thoughts on closes? I just like how you said if they have any kids at all. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I, I thought that was one of my best lines from this whole podcast. <laughs> other than that, no, I don't have any other closing thoughts. I just want to say thank you for putting this all together between last week's episode and this week's episode. The copywriters out there that are wanting to kind of run their copy through the ringer, we were able to provide some really awesome tips and tricks and hacks to really get the best out of your sales piece. Well, thank you. All right, let's wrap up. Just a little recap. The things we covered today, flow factor, how do you develop and refresh curiosity? How effective are your subheads to keep the reader engaged? How smooth are your transitions? How well do you keep building anticipation right up to the close? Consistency, are there logical and emotional inconsistencies that need to be fixed? Rapport and empathy, how well do you make your prospect feel comfortable with the languaging of your message? Stories, how effective and intriguing are your stories? Bullet points, how much sales power does each bullet point have? And your clothes, how strong and appealing is your clothes? Finally, I've helped hundreds of people in more than 100 industries with their marketing, and my critiques have added a lot to their bottom lines, four figures, five figures, six figures, maybe seven figures on one promo. What I told you today are the second half of the list of the first things I look at. There are other things I didn't have time to get into today. If you'd like me to critique your copy, just go to this page on my website. And it's in the show notes too. Fill out the application. It just takes a few minutes. Garfinkelcoaching.com forward slash copy dash critiques. That's garfinkelcoaching.com forward slash copy dash critiques. I will also say if you're just catching this episode and you want to get the first half of the list, then head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and you can find it there. Make sure that you like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And again, David, I just want to say thank you for putting this lesson together and giving away so much every single week on this podcast. Well, you're welcome. And actually, the plans are coming together for the new products that are going to be coming out, which I'll be telling you about mano a mano, face to face. I'm not sure what how I'm going to tell them privately. And then we'll be telling people on the podcast. And it is going to involve the next levels of critique that really, you know, it's like afterburners or, or that high octane fuel that Jeff Bezos thought he'd cornered the market on. No way, <laughs> man. No way. Nice. I can't wait. And until next time, man, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Thanks. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? 
Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.